So real quick, I want to just briefly recap what the parable of the sower meant in verses 1 through 20. Basically, you had two kinds of seeds, right? You had a good seed and you had a not so good seed, right? A bad seed. What did the bad seed produce? What did the bad seed produce? Anybody? Thorns and thistles, nothing, right? Produce nothing, right? What does the good seed produce? It produced 30, 60, 100 times fold as far as fruitfulness goes, right? And the difference was between the good seed and the bad seed, the difference between the good seed and the bad seed was hearing and listening to the word of God. See, the bad seed represented people who didn't listen or didn't respond to God's word. And so today I want to challenge us before we get going too much. And at the bottom of of your little notes is a reflection question. And we're going to start off with that this morning. Uh, We see repetition here in Mark's gospel. And whenever we see repetition in the Bible, we want to make sure we pay close attention to it. And the repetition that we see here is in Mark chapter 4, verses 23. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. My challenge this morning is this, are you really listening to the Word of God? Are we really listening to the Word of God? And we can just pause and have some awkward silence as we think through that. I want you to say that just kind of in your head, in the back of your mind. Am I really listening to the Word of God? Today, I want to make sure that our hearts and our minds are open to God's Word, not to any of my opinions or stupid jokes or bad illustrations, but to the text of God's word that we're going to be looking at today. It's very powerful. This understanding of his kingdom, it changes so many things for us as as a believer. Are you really listening to the word of God? In fact, in Mark 4, 23, he goes on in 24 and he says, consider carefully what you hear. Literally in the Greek, this means for us to perceive the word of God thoughtfully And carefully, and we could spend months on end dissecting these two verses. In fact, I would love to hear Matthew come up and for four weeks just dig into those two verses right there. But we don't have time to do that. Um, We're going to look at this from about 30,000 feet up in the air. And we're going to look at this with broad strokes and broad, broad vision as we look at the kingdom of God illustrated to us from Jesus in these three parables. Listening to the word of God is what distinguishes us from the rest of the world around us. Truly listening to the word of God is, is what distinguishes us. And when I, when, I mean, when I say listen or hear, it literally means that we hear it, that we believe it, that we love it, and that we obey it. And so I want that to be in our minds. Are we hearing his word? Are we believing it? Are we loving it? And lastly, are we obeying it? Are you really listening to the word of God? I'm going to pray for us as we get started and dig into this text. Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would have ears to hear, Lord. I pray our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open. Lord, I pray that when we hear your word, Lord, that we would believe it, that we would love it, Lord, that we would obey it. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would continue to break through into our lives, Lord. And I pray that that wouldn't happen unnoticed. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, so if you would, grab your Bible or look up at the screen. We're going to read this in its entirety. What I want to do is, is allow Scripture to simply speak for itself. We're going to read from verse 21 to 34. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in and I'm going to look at three truths that we get from these three separate parables as they talk about the kingdom of God. So Mark chapter 4, verses 21. We're going to start hearing about the first parable. It's called a lamp on a stand. This is this. This is Jesus talking. He said this to them. Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has not, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And we see a second parable as Jesus continues in verse 26. He says to them, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And then finally, we see the last parable that Jesus shares. Again, he said, and this is Jesus. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. And in verse 34, 33 and 34, he gives us the context of what's happening. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his, with his own disciples, he explained everything. And the beauty that we see in Mark's gospel and the way that he writes is Mark tends to highlight the actions of Jesus. We've seen that so far in the first few chapters. But here in chapter 4, Mark does something a little unique. Mark gives us a long, a long kind of teaching of Jesus. And it's unique for him. And it's important that we listen to what he has to say. That we listen to Jesus' words. Those of you that have ears to hear, listen. And so we're going to look at these three separate parables. The lamp, the growing seed, and the mustard seed. And I want to paint a picture for you with, with kind of the context that's happening. In the beginning part of chapter 4, as Austin was sharing a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus out by this lake. And we saw all these crowds that were starting to gather around. This was kind of uh, beginning to be a a very popular season for Jesus. He was doing miracles and his disciples were doing miracles. And Jesus was saying really radical things. He was confronting the Jewish culture right then and right there. And he was teaching people in a way that they had never heard before. And so they started to gravitate towards that. And so they would tell their friends and their family. They would likely tell anybody that would listen 
And they would all kind of shuffle out to wherever Jesus was so that he could teach. Here's the thing about this crowd, and here's kind of how I want to illustrate it. And, uh, and it's going to be really goofy, but um, here's the thing about this crowd that, that's kind of unique. If I could go back in time, if I could go back in time, one of the places I would go back to is to watch Evil Knievel jump. You guys remember Evil Knievel? Way before my time, way before my time. Um, but my dad used to tell me about Evil Knievel, and he would tell me stories about him. And I would hear about him from, from you know, the older generation as they would, you know, recount these different jumps he would do. He jumped canyons and buses and all kinds of other junk. But the thing about Evil Knievel that kind of was unique was the people that came and watched him. The people that would come out to the jumps that he would perform. The thing about these crowds is most of them, and this is my observation, most of them weren't necessarily interested in his success, right? Most of them were not really hoping that he would succeed, I think for a lot of them, they were okay with simply being entertained. And if that meant him crashing and breaking bones and wiping out and even being killed, then that might be okay for for some of the people. And so you see this this crowd that's just there to be entertained. And I think about Jesus' crowd in the same way. Not that Jesus is going to jump on a motorcycle and jump his disciples or the Sea of Galilee or anything. All of that might be really cool. Um... (laughs) His crowds, I think, came out because there was something happening. They heard stories about this guy, and they they heard how he was really kind of going up against the traditional Jewish culture. See, Jesus wasn't simply just going about life and and making everybody happy and making friends. He was full-out confronting the culture of his day, and so people kind of gravitated towards that. So you have these crowds... And then you had his disciples, and his disciples were people that he was really investing in. He was spending time with his disciples. And within those disciples, you had maybe a few relatives, maybe even a a few other close friends. But these were people that Jesus was modeling his relationship with the Heavenly Father to. He was teaching them how to love people, how to care about people. How to love the sick and the needy and the helpless. And so you've got his disciples, you have these crowds, and Jesus teaches them a little bit different. Jesus shares these parables and these stories. These are things they understood. This was in terms of farming, and they understood where he was going with. They understood these stories. It doesn't meant that they truly understood what it meant. That they truly understood where he was going or what the illustration truly symbolized. They meant the ter- they understood the terms that he was talking. And so the last part of 33 and 34 tells us that when he was alone with his disciples, he pulled them inside and said, guys, do you get what I just said? You heard me teach in parables. You heard me teach these stories. Does that make sense to you? And I think a lot of times they would say, no. And he'd say, okay, let me put it as plain as I can. And he would very simply tell them the different parts and what each part meant. These two groups. And so we're going to look at these three parables on the kingdom of God. And in your notes, you can kind of follow along as we pull out three different truths truths from that. Uh, The first thing I want to look at comes from the parable of the lamp. And so if you would jump down to verse 21 through 23, we're going to read this parable and then 
pull a couple things out. Jesus said to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. The truth in this parable is that this parable shows a hiddenness to the kingdom of God. A hiddenness to the kingdom of God. I didn't think hiddenness was a word, but I looked it up and sure enough, internet says it's a real word. So trust me, this parable shows a hiddenness to the kingdom of God. And the key text there, key verse is 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And if you're like me, if you grew up in the church or, or if you're kind of a student of the Bible or, or, or have been reading the Bible for some time, I think when, you, when, you, when we hear or we read this parable of the lamp or, or lamp or light, I think a lot of us, our minds go back to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. And we think about the light on the hill, right? We think about Matthew chapter 5. You're the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. That's not what Mark's talking about. And the reason I bring that up is because these are two totally different things. And I think for sometimes it can be confusing because we hear light or we hear lamp or we hear putting it under a bowl or under a bed and our mind goes back to our personal life, goes to our, our, personal, uh, uh, our personal walk and our personal demonstration of the gospel where we show the world what the gospel is all about. We love each other. We do all these things. We let our light shine. You know, what was the Sunday school song? This little light of mine. That's not Mark. That's not what Mark's saying. He's talking about the kingdom of God. In verse 22, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. That's the kingdom. God's kingdom is hidden. God's kingdom is hidden, but it's not always going to be that way. It won't always be hidden. So what's with all... The secrecy. Why is there this hiddenness? Why is there this mystery? Why isn't his kingdom just revealed and physical and given then and there? And the simplest, most frustrating answer is God knows what he's doing. He absolutely knows what he's doing. Someday that hiddenness will be revealed fully as Christ comes back for his family Jesus spent years pouring into his disciples. We mentioned that earlier. He spent time demonstrating his relationship to the Lord. He grabbed those that were so helpless, they had nobody to turn to. And he said, these people are incredibly important because they have nobody. And he shared that passion about the poor and the, the orphan and the widow and the sick. He poured into his disciples. And here's the truth. His teaching was never intended just to be for those inner circle and for that small group of disciples. And that's kind of an elementary thing to think about. But there's so much depth there. The truth is, his teaching was never meant to be just for that small band of believers, but would be the responsibility of these disciples to communicate the gospel of the kingdom to the rest of the world around them. An incredible responsibility... Jesus was pouring into these disciples so that they could, in turn, communicate the gospel of God's kingdom to the rest of the world. Incredibly powerful. There's a quote about the kingdom of God that I like. 
says this, the kingdom of God is hidden. It's not visible. It will not be until Christ comes again. It is not obvious to most human beings, this kingdom, this reign, this realm of God. Its evidence, which is everywhere and overwhelming to the discerning eye, remains completely invisible to most men. The facts are clear as day to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, but all is opaque to the unbeliever. That hiddenness that was there 2,000 years ago, in some very real senses, is still hidden today. But there's hope because in verse 22, as it shares the climax there, that God's purpose is that kingdom would be revealed in its fullness as Jesus comes. The second truth I want to look at comes from the, the parable of the growing seed. That's the next parable we're going to look at here in verse 26 through 29. Verse 26 says this, He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This parable shows that the seed's success doesn't depend on our efforts. The seed's success doesn't depend on our efforts. And in that truth and in that understanding of this parable comes incredible encouragement. Mark uses important language in this parable to describe this farmer. Look back at verse 27. This is the language Mark uses. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. It's powerful. It's incredible. The seed's growth doesn't happen by us, or our efforts, or what we do. It happens by God. And Paul understood this truth very well. In fact, he describes this very truth for us in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. He says this. I've got it up on the screen. Paul says this. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The success of the seeds that we're planting the people that you're investing into, the people that you are loving and sharing just life with, all those little seeds that are scattered out throughout the city or beyond. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's just a stranger around the corner. We help plant those seeds and we help water those seeds and we pray for those seeds and we ask God to be with those seeds, but it's up to him to allow those seeds to grow. And here's kind of the the reality about that. Here's the reality about that truth, is that when we can't see growth happening, we can oftentimes be very discouraged. When we can't see underneath the soil line, when we can't see those seeds starting to make little roots and start to grow up, when we can't see any of that, because we can't, sometimes it can be very, very discouraging. And you can ask, any missionary, I, I would think any missionary in the world could tell you a season in their life when they were discouraged 
because they weren't seeing the fruit from the seed that they were planting. My wife and I, we were missionaries uh, in the inner city for 10 years, and there were multiple times in our season of ministry where we were very discouraged because we were pouring into people's lives, some of the most broken people in generational poverty, planting seeds, watering, praying, getting others involved. And sometimes we had seasons where there was just no growth, or at least we thought there was no growth because we couldn't see underneath the soil line. And we would have to continually go back to the truth in our kingdom that God is the one that makes that grow. Our responsibility is throwing those seeds out. I I think back in in my personal kind of uh, life and ministry, the first time I started doing uh, inner city ministry was 1998, and I was in Bible college, and I started to work for this small little inner city black church in West Dallas. And it was one of the coolest churches I've ever been a part of. It was a small little neighborhood community church. And and I worked there for a few years. I was ordained in that church. Uh, I met and and worked there with my beautiful, gorgeous girlfriend who would soon become my wife. We worked with kids and we worked with uh, teenagers and, and youth in that church. And there's so many things that I remember from that experience. So many things that I've carried with me. Things like when you run out of Kool-Aid in kids' church, don't substitute Mountain Dew. If you do, your lesson time will be gone. It will be shot. And I had to learn that. And it sounds so stupid because here I was, this 18, 19-year-old kid. Unfortunately, I'm still learning from dumb mistakes. And I think I probably always will be. But one thing that stuck through me was we were in... Uh, in, in service one time, we had our kids in there, and our, our pastor, his name was James Armstrong. Credible testimony. He'd been on the streets for 30-plus years. Um, he, he had come up of, out of so many things, addiction, crime, poverty, everything. God had restored and transformed his life. He's teaching on the parable of the sower one Sunday, and, and I remember it very, very vividly. We're sitting in this really hot, kind of musty, mildewy church, that I can smell and see right now. And as he's teaching, he teaches this parable, and he says, he says okay, we, we, all, we all get the sower, right? He says he finds soil, he throws the seed in, uh, he waters it, uh, other people come and help and weed it, and, and they, they pray for it, and they take care of it and tend it. And then by the grace of God, by the, the power of God, by his mercy, that seed begins to grow, and it grows ahead, and then it grows the stock, and then the head, and then uh, fruit or vegetable comes, and then ripes, and then you harvest it, right? And he said this. He said, but we don't live in Podunk, East Texas. And this is him I'm going back to. We don't live in Podunk, East Te- Texas. He said, what does 90% of the ground that we live on in the city, what is it made of? And so I'll ask you guys that. What, what's 90% of the ground here in the city made of? Concrete? Somebody say Concrete? Hard, maybe, maybe blacktop or something like that. He said 90% of the city is made up of concrete. And sometimes we've got to smash through that concrete before we can ever get down to the soil. And, and at that time when he shared that, I didn't think much about it until years later when we went through some very discouraging moments in ministry. And I thought about that. 
And I realized that the majority of my life has been spent smashing concrete. And occasionally, when that concrete gets smashed, a crack is formed, a seed gets into it, it gets watered, and by the power of God, transformation and and a life being restored happens, and a fruit is grown. I, I think about Dove Springs. I think about the community that we are invested in, the community that we are part of here. And I see a, a city that's, that's full of life. It's also full of lots and lots of layers upon layers upon layers of concrete. There's many people in our community here that have layers of hurt. Maybe it was being burnt in a church. Maybe it was a pastor that said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing. Maybe it was a family member that said they were a Christian and poured another layer of concrete on top. And so as I've been thinking about that this week, I was also also being encouraged by how how we crush that concrete. I have pictures of us crushing concrete. And we had Restore Weekend this, this past Sunday. And we were able to serve around Dove Springs and around the rest of the city of Austin with the rest of our ANC family in many different ways. But we have a, a picture of a paint day. Um, and we, we painted this fence at this uh, nonprofit learning center that's just around the corner. 95% of their families that they work with uh, have some type of government assistance. They have some type of need. And so this place ministers, loves, educates, and cares for the kids there. We painted this fence And we didn't merely just throw paint on a fence and leave. I I truly believe what we did that day was take a little hammer and slam it against a piece of concrete to start to create some cracks. See, what we're doing is not just painting a fence, but we're sending a message, not just to that nonprofit, but to the families. We love you. We care for you. We want this to be a happy place for you. We want this to be fun. God loves you, cares for you. And as a faith community, we're continually doing that. We had other events. We had uh, uh, worked at the elementary school at Wadane, elementary school just right across the street. And uh, what was really cool about this project this past Sunday is we went and we talked with the principal there. And uh, we found out through, through some of our, our family here in our church that this principal is, is a believer, And as I began to talk with her several months back, she was so excited about what's happening. And so when we showed up to work that day, not only did the principal show up, but the assistant principal showed up. They got their hands dirty. They sweated. They worked hard those three hours spreading that mulch. And again, for us, the message that we sent wasn't that here's some great mulch, use it. But we love you and we care about you. And we're slowly providing cracks in the concrete for our seeds to get down and sink into. Incredibly, incredibly encouraging. Again, the seed success doesn't depend on our efforts. Once, uh, the last thing I want to talk about as we kind of close is, is, the, the, is the next parable we're going to read. And this is the parable of the mustard seed. And uh, this is in... Chapter 4, verses 30 through 32. We're going to read that together. Mark 4, 30, 32. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? 
It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. And the truth here is that this parable encourages patient faith. And as as sowers of seeds, as we are investing in this community, it takes patient faith when we can't see that growth as we just read, when we can't see it happening. But we have to have faith in the kingdom of God that he's allowing and he's producing and he's making those seeds grow so we can harvest at some other time. Jesus models this truth for us. And and the key verse here is in, in verse 31. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, smallest of all seeds. Verse 32 Yet when planted, it grows to become the largest of all garden plants. It's the kingdom of God that he's talking about. The kingdom of God started out very, very small as Jesus Christ came into our world in an incredibly humbling way. He was born into our world. His ministry started after that with 12 disciples. And this was a ragtag bunch of people. You had a tax collector. You had fishermen. You had some very ordinary people. And that seed gets just a little bit bigger as Jesus pours into their life. But by the power and faithfulness that God has for us, that small band of misfits has exploded in 2,000 years as the kingdom of God is growing. And it's growing because of what God is doing. One writer says this about faith as I close, and I I like this. He says, one needs a special faith to risk trusting one's whole life to something that lies hidden. It's true. One needs a special kind of faith to risk trusting your life and my life to something that remains hidden for the most part. The rest of the world sees this hiddenness of the kingdom, and they think it's foolishness, is what Scripture tells us. But those of us that are here that are believers, those of us that have tasted the pieces of that kingdom of God, as we've had our lives transformed, as we begin to to walk and share a life with Jesus, we begin to have that small little kingdom veil slowly open as we begin to taste bits and pieces of his kingdom. And it's incredible I don't know if you ever used to read the Bible before you were a believer. But for me, between the time I was a non-believer to believer, it's like a whole different book. Not that I just completely understand everything when I'm a believer. But what I'm reading is real and it's happening. Last thing I want to say is, is this, is encouragement. Be encouraged by the hiddenness of the kingdom and know that God is in control. Be encouraged that the seeds that we are planting are growing, are growing by God alone. And finally, be encouraged because the kingdom of God will one day be revealed as Jesus comes back faithfully to his family. Let me pray for us as we get ready for communion. We get ready for a time to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. As we get ready for a time just to kind of be silent And then also worship him with praise and and song. And again, I I want Mark's message 
of what Jesus had to say, Jesus' words. Those of you that have ears, listen to my word. Let me pray for us.